You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 58, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter, Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best dog dog co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, hold up. Final score. Eagles win to stay alive. 32 to 30. What a roller coaster of a game, but Ben, wow, this team, man, this Eagles team, they just, they just keep staying alive. Let's talk about them, Ben. How you doing, brother? Is there any, (laughs) how do you understand Nick Foles? Like, how do you, he's amazing, he is (laughs) impossibly good, the worse the odds are against him. He just is better and better, the less likely it is that he will be successful. He is amazing. And then he stands up there and he cries at the podium because of how much he loves playing in Philadelphia. He is the most interesting person I know. He is amazing to me. Like, 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 how are you so good in the fourth quarter? My trust in God. Like, he's beautiful. Like, Lane Johnson. Like, Nick Foles was furious about the uh, the no face mask call. I was listening to see if he cursed and he didn't yeah. curse. Like, Foles just... We sit here and we analyze him, and I do not trust him as my franchise quarterback, and nothing about the Houston game has changed my mind, but boy, yeah. you got to love him. Yeah. Are you kidding me, man? He's he's incredible. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, and we talked about this a lot with Carson Wentz, you know, his competitive toughness. Nick Foles' competitive toughness, for the duration of the game through the third quarter leading up to the interception, the costly interception there, or could have been costly interception that Nick Foles had when he was targeting Ertz and, and Benardrick McKinney picked it off. After that, Good play by McKinney, yeah. he's able to put it behind him and just, he just caught fire, man. Like he was on fire after that. Right after that, he threw the 83-yard touchdown to Nelson Aguilar on the, on the, like the next drive. Like he just is able to put it behind him. He comes to the line. He sees that they're in a coverage that he's seen before. He knows he's going to get one-on-one with Nelson Aguilar and Tyron Matthew, the honey badger. We called him volatile in coverage leading up in the preview show. And Nelson Aguilar burned him. And apparently Nick Foles had called that audible to send Nelly deep like that because he liked the matchup. And it leads to the biggest play, the longest Pre-snap play of the season. recognition. Yeah. Is exactly what we talked about last week. I didn't even know that audible story that Foles audible into it. I didn't catch that. And I, I, we should actually start 
I'm very sick right now, which is probably why I sound disgusting, by the way. <laughs> but I didn't even know that he he audible into that. I had no idea. Yeah. But this is what we talked about in, in last week's show. What was the one thing he brought to the Rams game that you really weren't getting with Carson? It was the ability to recognize pre-snap when he had one-on-one matchups and then throw into those matchups and be willing to trust his receivers in those situations to attack and to not always feel like, you know, you have to like read a full progression. You have to like, you know, like uh, three-man route concepts and find the space. And so no, no, just, I've got one-on-one with Aguilar. I'm going to hang it out there. I'm going to let him go make a play. And it, it, the way this team rallies around him is unbelievable. I mean, when he came back out onto the field after the Jadavian Clowney hit, I mean, you could, I, you could, I like, I felt like my TV was shaking <laughs> with the sound from Lincoln Financial. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like he comes, he comes back. The backup quarterback comes back out there to lead a game-winning field goal drive after getting absolutely speared on what I thought was a very legal play, but whatever. Me too, absolutely yeah. speared. Beard, and he comes back out, takes him down the field, hits out, hits Alshon on an incredible third and ten, third and fifteen, maybe a conversion. Yeah, in that moment, anyway, while he was getting hit, oh my goodness, uh, Zach Ertz breaks the single season receiving record for tight ends with a whole game to spare. Yeah, fumbles on the freaking record breaking reception because why not? <laughs> of course, unbelievable. Darren Sproles, who all year has not been able to get on the field, has an unbelievable. Been uh, 12 touches, 108 all purpose yards, and a touchdown. The exact Darren Sproles game we've needed, the good game from running back we've always needed to have. The defense yeah. has a good game. They gave up 30 points. Obviously, they gave like 14 in the fourth, as they always freaking do. But they came out in the third very strong. I thought Rasul and Avante fought against DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins had like a nine catch, 104 yard, no touchdown reception day. That's a W in my book against that receiver yeah. with these corners. Uh, the, the pass rush is a half second, half second late, half second late, half second late all day. Finally gets there for a huge strip sack when the game is still like in contention in the third quarter. Oh my goodness. What an what an exhilarating game! What a fun game to watch. Ben, I'm exhausted. Nick Foles, 35 for 49, 471 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. Like I said, like going into the half, the stat line looked good, but you're like, okay, he had the the strip sack and he had misfires. There were some high throws yeah. and whatnot. He just gets it together mentally when when it matters somehow he makes right. it happen it's it's astonishing to me and we often talk like with rational heads about like okay this is what Wentz does well this is what Foles does well Foles just in the second half like I, I was timid on saying that he was having a really good game I thought he was playing solid and then he just he just he catches fire dude it's right. it's incredible and 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 we got to talk so Foles it's very important to understand you said 471 yards four touchdowns one interception fantastic we're talking about 49 passing attempts, almost 50, right? And so remember back in 2016, 2017, we would get so worried about the amount of attempts Carson was taking, right? Carson has never attempted. Actually, it's not true. In 2016 and 2017, he never attempted 49 passes. Yeah. He had 50 passes in the Tennessee game this year, obviously went to overtime. So he's got a higher number than that. This was more than Carson, more at a single game than Carson never attempted in two seasons. Obviously breaks the single game passing record, Nick Foles does, but in the most Folesian way possible, he does it with a yards per attempt less than 10 of right. 9.6. And that's how it should have been. And that's what we said. Supplant the run game with the quick passing game. Like, they only ran 22 times. 50 passes if you count the Sudfeld throw, which honestly, like, Doug's aggressiveness is my favorite thing in the world. No more so than when his third string quarterback goes out on a potentially game-winning drive in a must-win game, and Doug throws it. He throws <laughs> it with Nate Sunfeld. I love it. But 
50 passes to 22 runs. Not even a 2-to-1 ratio. A greater than 2-to-1 ratio passing the football. And Sproles, 9 carries, 32 yards, but with a log of 16. Only averaged 3.6. Adams with 11 carries for 21 yards. Averaged less than 2 yards a carry. This was not an effective running game. Average of 2.6 yards per carry total across the backs and across Nick Foles on his one scramble. So, there you go. This was not going to be a game where you're going to be able to run the ball effectively. You saw what Jadavian Clowney was doing, especially once Peters went out quick. Mother Mary in heaven. We knew he was going to have a good game. We knew he was a problem. Sweet Lord. I was like, all right. They need to, they need, like, put, give a, Vitae a chip on both sides. Right. Give him help on either <laughs> shoulder. I don't care. Cloudy's gonna murder him. Vitae stepped it up a bit in that regard. Shout out goes to Lane Johnson, who was fantastic on the right hand side. But yes, Mike, I think as far as what we expected from the game plan, the short passes to supplement the run game, yes, there. The Jadavian Clowney problems and the solution there, absolutely. What I think we, at least for me, I came in saying, all right, so this is your man coverage game. Alshon Jeffrey's the answer. Alshon's right. your best man beater. Zach Ertz is the zone beater. Alshon had three catches for 82 yards even after corner started going down. Yeah. I need to apologize for Zach Ertz. Apparently, he can beat some man coverage too. I think everyone needs to apologize to Zach Ertz for all the slander that is being said about him in recent history. He pulled out this game. And you know what helps? It, it helps when you use other people the way they sh- that they should be used, like Nelson Aguilar as a deep threat. But please continue, Ben. Let's go Zach Ertz, man. Congratulations. I can't. Like, I, I was writing about it. My uh, my winners, losers, and I don't know's column yeah. usually has about 18, 20 people in it. It had 55 this week because I wrote a blurb on literally every single member of the Eagles 53-man roster <laughs> because I was so excited. And that being said, for like BJ Bello or whatever that linebacker is, I yeah. don't really write that much. But for the other guys I did. Deshaun Hall had a sack. My, my line for Deshaun Hall and Trayvon Hester was both, got a sack? <laughs> well done, team. Let's go. But anyway... Uh, I was so close to calling Trayvon Hester T.Y. McGill intentionally in my in my post because I keep on mentioning T.Y. McGill and forgetting he's not on the roster. But regardless, <laughs> the line I said in that post was just like, you're running out of superlatives for Zach Ertz because he's simply like, – it's, it's just – I can't think of a player who is so good in such a non-highlighty sort of way. Right. Like Ertz is just a machine. He like – like when they say a tight end is the quarterback's best friend, Zach Ertz is the best friend of your best friends. He's your bestest friend. He's a freaking sixth grade. You're my real best friend. They're just my other best friends. Best friend is the consistency, the ability to uncover the difficult catch at the goal line. Mike, you knew it was a record setting day because he broke his first tackle in his freaking career on his second touchdown. Yeah. That was what I knew. That was what I knew. Eagles are going to the playoffs. If Zach Ertz is breaking tackles, unicorns can fly. Wizards are real. We're going to the playoffs. Zach Ertz broke a tackle. So, Ben, obviously this game had huge playoff implications and not just for the let's Eagles too. So let, let's get into that and then we'll kind of dial back to some different turning points in the game. First of all, this game – Keeps the Texans from clinching the AFC South, which puts them in a must-win game against the Jaguars in Week 17. They also need... You're welcome, Frank Reich. Exactly. Uh, they they need the New England loss next week to regain their first-round bye. And by the way, how in the heck did the Giants end up losing to the Colts? I completely missed that comeback. And then yeah. you get the Vikings. They beat the Lions. And they would have clinched a playoff spot with an Eagles lost. But the Eagles staved that off for at least a week. So here's what needs to happen for the Eagles. So let's detail these scenarios. Yes. You beat the Redskins. Shouldn't be a problem. And quite frankly, if they lose to them, they don't deserve it to be. You know, they don't deserve to be in there anyway. Second, the Vikings lose to the Bears. 
in Minnesota next week. That puts Eagles in with the sixth seed. Third scenario, if the Vikings win, the Eagles can still get in if the Seahawks lose to the Chiefs tonight and the Cardinals next week, which is pretty unlikely. So I think it comes down to the Bears and the Vikings. Now, just a wild card scenario before I kick it to you, Ben. If both happen, yeah. if both happen, the Seattle Seahawks lose twice, the Vikings lose, the Eagles win, the Eagles would have the fifth seed. But let's zero in on this, Ben. We're, let's lay all of this out. So the main thing that we need is the Bears to play their starters next week. I believe that they will. They beat the 49ers today, which helps because they are in contention for the second seed and a bye, which is super important. And the Rams play at yes. 4 p.m. on that Sunday, so they won't know. Right. Now, we expect those games to get bumped around a fair bit. That's what you should anticipate happening. Obviously, like that's just... You know, they have the freedom to flex all of those games, right. and so you should anticipate seeing that. Now, that being said, you would have liked to have seen the Steelers pulled out against the Saints simply for this reason. I tweeted about this, and I had many people yell at me because they thought I was implying that the Bears would have nothing or would, would rest all their starters and be okay with losing the Minnesota game if there was no Saints win over the Steelers, which is not what I was saying. You're the Bears right now. Mm-hmm. Because the Saints won and because the Rams won, you're only path to a seed higher than three, i.e. a first round bye, is going to be the Rams losing to San Francisco at home, which isn't super likely. I know you just played San Francisco and they played you within a possession, but you don't really anticipate that being the case. So as of right now, 538's playoff calculator, which you can Google that and find it. It's a ton of fun to play with. It's really nicely done. Has the Rams at an 85% chance of winning that game over the Niners. So you don't anticipate the Niners winning it. So let's say you're at a point where you've got a couple starters who are dealing with nagging injuries. You know, you've got a couple guys who have been playing for 16 straight weeks. And you know, if, if you don't get the Rams to lose to the Niners, you're not getting a first round bye. If you have guys on the fence and you're looking at this Minnesota team, win or lose this game for Chicago, you are making the playoffs. You've already won the division. It's a matter of third seed. And there's not even a chance that they're going to fourth seed because right. Chicago won. So, so the Rams are lo- the the Bears are locked in at third seed. There's no way they're going fourth seed. So you can rest a few of your starters, knowing that hey, if you lose, you just get Minnesota next week in the playoffs, which obviously adds a weird dimension to it. Like I don't know how to process the fact that the Bears losing to Minnesota would mean they would play Minnesota in the playoffs again in Chicago. Like is that or excuse me, no, this time in Chicago. Does that make you more incentivized to win and get the Eagles? Does that make you less incentivized to win? Like, I don't really know how to process that. But the point being, because the Bears' only avenue to the second seed is a Rams loss at home against the Niners, I expect the Bears to be very liberal with their injury report and who they choose to bench. Because I think if you're the Bears, you think you can beat Minnesota with a couple starters down. You yeah. really do. And if you don't, you just get Minnesota again in the playoffs this time at home. Right. Well, I don't think the Bears are going to roll out Chase Daniel, freaking Josh Bellamy, whoever the backup wide receiver is. I think it was Bellamy like three years ago. Right. I don't think they're going to sit all their starters. But I would, if I had a guy with a nagging injury, I, I'm, I would absolutely. I'm not going to get him, you know, beat up for the next playoff game when I know it's very unlikely. 85% chance Rams are getting the bye. So there you go. So if the Saints had lost to the Steelers. Well then, wow! The Rams would the the Bears would have had a much better chance. Two avenues towards getting that first round by would have been a little bit more a little bit more willing, I think, to 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 gut it out against Minnesota. So that's the nature behind that. 
Philadelphia right now, again, if you're looking at the playoff odds calculator, and this is why it's a lot of fun, it gives you the really the probabilities for all the outcomes. You can toggle whether or not teams lose or win. So right now, Philadelphia's got a 31% chance, Mike, of making the playoffs. It's not super great, but if you have them beating Washington, it goes up to 49. So coin flip. If they beat Washington, it's a coin flip whether or not they make the playoffs. And hey, if you assume Kansas City goes ahead and beats Seattle, it already bumps it up a few points, so it's at above 50%. Yeah. So assuming Kansas City beats Seattle, which Seattle's got a banged-up secondary right now, Kansas City's obviously very, very hot. Eagles have a 53% chance of making the playoffs. It all basically comes down to a Seattle loss against Arizona, a Minnesota loss against Chicago. Right. Those are the two games that you're watching. As Mike said, uh, the, the Bears are not playing after the Rams game. They won't know the result. So they still have, they won't be locked into a siege. So they will technically have something to play for, which is good. Those games will likely get flexed around a little bit, but it would be very much so in the league's interest to make sure Chicago has something to play for and to make sure that Minnesota has something to play for, which is to say the Eagles game can't be before the Minnesota game because if the Eagles lose, Minnesota's locked into their seed. There's no way they're not making the playoffs. So you're going to see the Eagles game, the Bears game, and the Los Angeles Rams game all happen at the same time, in my opinion. So those are the playoff implications for the Eagles moving forward. A lot of different moving parts. Of course, we'll have it all covered here at Bleeding Green Nation. We'll be detailing it throughout the week, making sure that you're informed on everything that's going on. Let's dial back to this game for a second because this is a game where the Eagles, once again, were up towards the end of the game and you start to see the cracks in the wall start to develop and you get the Josh Adams feature back fumble. You also get the missed extra point. By Jake Elliott, which leads to the Texans getting up a score after that fumble and after Vincent Smith. Listen. The limestone wide receiver that I pounded the table for in the offseason. Go ahead. Stop yourself immediately. Jake Elliott missed the extra point on purpose. Mm. So as to kick his game-winning field goal, Michael. Because when you're a hustler, when you're a hustler, you can't stop hustling, all right? (laughs) I will never ever listen to anything bad about Jake Elliott ever again, ever. I never have said anything bad. It was funny because I tweeted out, I've never doubted Jake Elliott. And people are like, haha, yeah, that's funny. But I literally haven't. I've been his staunch supporter. Let me ask you this. How many kickers in the league right now do you think have a perfect extra point percentage? Off the top of your head, go. 22. Seven. Who have kicked, who have attempted at least five extra points. There are seven kickers in the league who have never missed one. So unless you're going to go get one of those seven, because somehow they're going to leave their current team, you can suck it up with Elliott missing an extra point now and then, because he is the coolest, clutchest kicker who has never in his young career missed a potential game-winning, game-tying, or go-ahead kick in the fourth quarter. Thank you very much, Jacob. I just love that he had to create his game-winning field goal because of that scenario. You never know if the Texans might have gone for two or whatever, whatever the situation is. No, it, no, no. No, Jake Elliott, Kelly with a long con. I get it. It's baller. It's alpha. Listen, I will I will hear nothing besides the fact that Jake Elliott absolutely intentionally brought this into existence. And I will hear I will hear no other claims. I'm just upset that that's the most I've been off on one of these guessing games in a long time. I don't know why I said 22. That's very high. Yeah, 22 was healthy. I mean, with with people who've only attempted like one or two, maybe because like Camus was one for one last year. So like, you know, but yeah, you're wrong. You're done. Hey, Chris Long. Showing up for this game, getting a strip sack. How about him? Fletcher Cox coming up, coming up with it. And what do you get? You get a short field and you get points out of it. That's what this team needed. That's what this team needed coming into this game. And this defense, this Timely defense alone. Have you looked at the rushing totals for the Texans? My God. Oh, 13 <laughs> yards on 11 running back carries. Right. And I know that there was some complaints about Watts and the mobile quarterback. And there's, there's this 
perception that mobile quarterbacks always kill the Eagles defense. And I'm here to tell you that's completely right and it's completely wrong. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) The reason it feels like mobile quarterbacks always kill the Eagles defense and every every fan of every defense experiences this is that you only notice your team is getting run on by the quarterback when it's playing a mobile quarterback, right? (laughs) Which is to say like, of course, mobile quarterbacks kill your defense because the other weeks... There's no mobile quarterback playing, right? So you're like, oh man, these mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, this mobile quarterback rushes for so much on us. Yeah, as compared to the non-mobile quarterbacks who are not trying to run the football, right? If like like Watson went, he had 49 rush yards. I'm sure that was one of his better ones. And he rushed the ball eight times for an average of six yards. Listen, an eight carry, 49 yard, six rush player as a running back wouldn't be that big of a problem. Yeah. It really wouldn't. Obviously, two touchdowns sucks. Right. I'm not going to dispute that. That's what a quarterback with legs give you. It gives you in the red zone. And if any fans should know that, it's Philadelphia fans because Carson Wentz presents that problem in the near red zone all the freaking time and in short yardage situations. I'm looking here. Watson had four for 26 last week, five for 35, seven for 30, nine for 70, three for seven, six for 38, one for 14, seven for 13, two for two, 10 for 40, six for 41. It was his one of his better games and probably one of his most effective from a yards per carry perspective, but it wasn't an aberration compared to how he runs pretty much against every other defense. So let's understand that. And now let's talk about the holistic nature of the defense. Philadelphia's front four was not generating a ton of number pressure. They had like three pressures and one sack, like a bit of the ways into the third quarter. But Houston was keeping six, if not seven players to block in regularly. And what you saw that causing a problem for was when Watson would stand back there and you have seven guys dropping in coverage against three or four routes. And that allows Philadelphia to pattern match, to drop, drop into zones, and to really blanket cover. Now, they definitely were not getting as up into Watson's face as you would have liked to have seen when he broke the pocket. They'd have a linebacker chasing him down, but Watson was able to break a lot of linebacker angles. Again, 8 for 49. Not a, like, ridiculous day, but he was able to break a few angles. When Philadelphia came out with a spy, they very frequently hit man coverage behind it because they didn't want a spot drop zone, and they couldn't pattern match with that few people. Like, you know, if you've got a spy, you're pattern matching with six against five. That's a little tricky. And so as a result, they're coming out on man. And that's when you saw Watson go very first read heavy and slice him and dice him because Philadelphia had struggled taking away the first read. The only way that defense worked was when Avante Maddox would get a pass breakup on first and 10. Rasul Douglas made a good tackle, make it second and eight. You know, you get a, a stop on a running play and make it second and 12, which happened a lot. So this is this is the nature of having a beat up secondary, the, the rock and the hard place that we talk about. You either play the pattern match zones, rush with four. Sometimes you get to Watson and sometimes you don't. He breaks, he's able to pick up a chunk yardage or you try to spy him, but you're playing man coverage behind it and Watson can throw the ball all over you. And you saw there were drives where the Texans seemed to be moving the ball at will and then they wouldn't be able to throw the ball in the very next possession. And that, from what I could see, was simply because the Eagles were then dropping seven back into zones, playing cover six, quarter, quarter, half, cover three cloud and pattern match cover three, stuff they've done all year with a lot of success. It's so important to remember that pressure is not instantaneous. You expect it to get there. We were talking about 2.5 seconds and Watson's time to throw. It might not look super high because of how often he can scramble and extend plays, but he was hitting his first read in the pocket right off his back foot very, very frequently. And that's going to negate pressure. It's what we've talked about all year. I want to dial back into something on the offensive side of the ball. Let's talk about Josh Adams, 11 carries for 21 yards, a 1.9 average. We kind of touched on it, how balance did not win this game. That was not our recommendation. The Eagles listened. And look, here's what I want to do. 
I want to take all of these third and one, third and two, fourth and one packages. And I want to take all of these running plays and I want to set them on fire because they don't work. The only time that it worked is on the touchdown that got called back because Big V had to hold Javion Clowney, which was great for our brand. But anyway, yes, I want to take all of those plays. I want to throw them out. And I want to replace and slide in one Tell play. Me why. Because it doesn't work. We're not a power running team. We're we're asking right. Josh Adams to make decisions on these schemes that we run him in when we would we need to give him a dedicated lane. It hasn't worked for us at all. What I would much rather do is replace all of those plays with the play that has worked on fourth down two weeks in a row now, which is the mesh sit wheel with mesh Darren Sproles. Sit <laughs> wheel. <laughs> They try to run it another two times and it didn't work and Foles can't hit that throw well, which is a sneaky, tricky throw. And I'm going to give that to Nick. I don't give a lot of things to Nick. I'm going to give that to Nick. Yeah. The wheel throw is tough because you're at such a weird angle with your body. You can't align your your hips in a way that you would any like crossing route. And also, the, your, your perception is kind of off. The, the running back is gaining depth away from you toward the sideline, but he's also about to come up field. So it's really tricky to right. place that ball well, especially when a linebacker is closing. You don't want to float that thing out there and let it get picked off. But the, 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 the two throws on the fourth and two conversion and then the touchdown. Yeah. Mwah! And this is why this play works because you're getting that wheel. And what's happening is you have two defenders in that area. And typically you've got Alshon Jeffrey on that side and, and he's down in, in a condensed split. So Alshon Jeffrey is going to create traffic with the defender that's covering him. The other defender who is going out to cover Sproles, who's darting out to the side, has to make a decision. He needs to go under the traffic to get to the flat where it can be thrown, which it was on that fourth down. Or in the other case, he has to go over the traffic to get to the wheel, which is a which is more vertical because it goes flat to a wheel. So you saw it on that fourth down and short. They threw the wheel or excuse me, they threw the flat because it was there before it turned into the wheel. Then later on, you get the wheel route more vertical down the sideline. Beautiful throw by Foles. I thought Foles overall did have some misfires. But there were some plays where he put that puppy in a beautiful spot, showed some nice touch, especially on the wheel, especially on the throw to Alshon. Some some of the throws to Ertz were in spots. The throw at the end to Jeffrey, Jeffrey's got those pickle jar hands, comes down with it on a big one. Oh, so, man. Yeah, there was there were some great throws mixed in with some misfires, but overall, great game. But yeah, that, that fourth right. down, mesh sit wheel, run that every time. Forget about trying to run Josh Adams down, down the middle. I think I'm going to go back through the game and just to trigger everybody for fun, I'm going to cut up the, like, easily five throws that Nick Foles just missed. Oh, yeah. And be like, these were throws that happened they in a uh, in the single game, highest yards, highest passing yards. Like, he missed, it's like he missed, like, a couple. He missed, yeah. like, five, like, yeah. easy ones. Oh, yeah. Guess. And though there were a few. The Zacherts catch on third and, like, goal from the 15 or whatever it was after the offensive holding from Vitae through two guys in contact going down to the field to get it. Yeah. And then it brings up the fourth and goal that he converts. Unbelievable. The Alshon Jeffrey third and 10. Incredible. Aguilar also had one. I don't remember where it was, but it was across the intermediate middle of the field where he skied to grab one all fingertips. Incredible strength. Fantastic. Listen, Aggie, I'm gonna, I, I, let's bring up Aggie because you deserve, you, you deserve an opportunity to talk about Aguilar with his 83-yard catch-and-run touchdown because you were staunchly in the Aguilar deep threat ter- deep threat camp while I was a little bit more skeptical. So you deserve your time in the sun here. So let's let's talk about that because number one, Foles knows that the Matthew uh, matchup with Aguilar is advantageous to Aguilar. Just one-on-one going down the field. Aguilar, let's talk about him and his 4-4-3 speed. 
that hit a higher average miles per hour on deep routes than Torrey Smith last year. A lot of people talk about this team not having a deep threat. I argued that they have one with Nelson Aguilar. They just got to use him like that. Correctly. And before Tate got here, Nelson Aguilar was asked to be the Tate role, that role that they wanted to fill. Be the yak guy. He is our intermediate to deep threat. Let him do that. That's what fits his skill set the best. And yeah, it might not lead to the most consistent production, but I'd rather have him go instead of six catches for 29 yards, 30 yards. Give me a chance to hit one big, deep pass a game. And that's what Aguilar brings to this team. Remember, 4-4-3 speed. This guy can stretch you vertically from the slot. And I think on that one, he was in trips. He was in number two, so he was in between the two other guys. He is a threat to the seam, and to anyone trying to single him up down the field. That's what he needs to be. That's how he will be successful moving forward. Right, and we talk about how deep speed is only one portion of being a deep threat, and that's why Shelton Gibson remains laboring between the active 46 and the 53, because, yeah, the boy can fly, but he can't do much else. Aguilar, one, physicality through the route, down the field to maintain leverage on Teron Matthew, who, while he's not a fast cover corner, is no slouch in, in when he's in your cylinder. He's a physical dude. He's got size on Aguilar. He's bigger than Aguilar is. And Aguilar maintained leverage on him. And then two, tracking ability. Yeah. Because that, that that was a deep post. It was either uh, di- it was either a dino concept where it was a deep post over a short post, or it was just a, a classic pin, a Mills concept where it was a deep dig, which is flat, a flat across the field, not a post it was a it was a dig, and then Aguilar was running the post on top. Yeah. So really, what you, what you expect to see is that ball to be a little bit more towards the sideline, so Aguilar doesn't have to bend back upfield. But Aguilar, so number one, tra- uh, number one was leverage. Number two is tracking ability. His ability to locate that ball and realize I've got to get upfield on my defender. No longer am I getting leverage into the sideline. Leverage is if the ball is being thrown across the field. I got to leverage upfield and go get this football. Fantastic tracking. If he could do his little falling into the end zone celebration a tick quicker next time, I'd really appreciate it. I was losing my mind. I was flashbacks to Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Uh, Mother Mary just getting the freaking end zone. But absolutely. And listen, speaking of Golden Tate, three targets, two catches, 13 yards. They've officially stopped trying to feed Tate. It's a 12-personnel team. They've realized what they are. They're a 12-personnel team, which they should have been this entire time. Wendell Smallwood. Had four, had four targets. Yeah. Darren Sproles had six targets. Can we talk about how Darren Sproles brings, brings an element to this offense that allows them to do things that they weren't able to do before he returned to the lineup? How useful is that? How great is that to have? Sproles' ability to get the ball, and you talked about Josh Adams making decisions. Sproles' ability to make decisions with the ball in his hands that regularly maximize vertical yardage. Hmm. Split zone, Sproles is banging that puppy upfield. I'm getting vertical. Draw plays, I'm getting behind my offensive lineman, and the second I see daylight, I'm going to make sure I have room, and I'm going to go get vertical. Right, That ability to stay ahead of the sticks, and something we talked about in the uh, the, the 4 and 13 Four for 13 conversion on third downs against the Rams. Philadelphia came back this week, nine out of 16, but their depth of third down was way down. Yeah. Their ability to stay ahead of the sticks when you have a guy like Darren Sproles is it, it, you didn't realize what it was until it came back. Like, you know, yeah. when they didn't have it, you weren't even thinking about it. But when it was back, you're like, oh, wait, this is what it looks like when you can check down to a dude on yeah. first and 10 and get the second and six. This is what it looks like when, even when you hand the ball off on second and 10, which is mind numbing and exhausting and you hate it, the guy is going to squeeze forward for three, four yards and at least put you on a more manageable third down, even though, again, I don't like the decision. Right. You want to know decisions I do like, Michael? 
four for four on fourth down, baby. <laughs> and I liked the go for two in the first quarter as well. I freaking yeah. loved it. Or the second quarter. Yeah. Four for four on fourth down. That's my 2017 Philadelphia Eagles, baby. I missed <laughs> that. Thank you for bringing that back. And I like that you mentioned the two-point conversion. I agree with the call as well. As I mentioned, the ref was probably drunk for that. Missed the face mask on Nick Foles. And then the, Let me what, tell the you. next drive, I was so irritated with the refs. The Brandon Graham roughing the passer penalty. I mean, none of those oh. refs. The, the one on Clowney I thought was bad too. I think it, I think it's inconsistently enforced around the league every week for every team. But with those two calls back-to-back, you're like, right. Mike, can we – can we catch a break? I simply, and this is what I, I said during the game, I just, I've never understood officiating less. You know what I mean? Carried over. I watched the whole Saints and Steelers game with my pops. I'm home for Christmas. My pops a huge Steelers fan. That pass interference call on the fourth down Both for the Saints was like one of the worst calls. Or the Joe Hayden one on fourth and one, which the Saints then turned into seven points and what ended up being a three-point game. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. That was the worst. That was the yeah. worst. No, yeah. And then <laughs> there was the one on Morgan Burnett, which was on, he, he, he clearly avoided contact to play for the football. And they called it. And, and just like, I just don't, I don't really understand officiating anymore. You know what I mean? And it's funny. Like the more, like I used, I was, when I was a casual fan who watched the Eagles, I thought I understood officiating pretty well. And the more games I've watched and the more work I've done, the less I understand officiating and how it works and what they're actually supposed to call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my, like Michael Thomas had a catch in that game in the Saints game right at the goal line, where if that catch happened in play, like in, at the 40, he wouldn't have had possession yet because he hadn't made a football move. Right. But he caught it at the goal line, yeah, and then it was a catch and a touchdown. And I was like, I don't even know how – like, so a catch is different in the end zone? Like, it's amazing. Right. I just don't really understand officiating anymore. Like, Brandon Graham, he put his weight on the quarterback. Well, he clearly put his hands out to break his fall. Head-to-head contact, it was his shoulder, and you can very clearly see that. Jadavian Clowney leading with his head – what is he supposed to leave with? The head is in front of his body. And he hit him in the numbers. It's not like he hit him in the head. Right. It's so, it's like, so what, like, is he – if he turns his head to the side, doesn't that expose his neck? Was he supposed to like shoulder check him? Like, well, I don't get it. You know, I just don't understand officiating anymore, yeah. which uh, makes these things exhausting. But my last uh, thing that I want to talk about, and, and this is, I think, like the last note that at least I want to have. We can talk about more Eagles stuff. Best game I've seen Deshaun Watson play in, in a Houston Texan uniform, period. Oh, period. yeah. I mean, Demarius Thomas goes down, which I feel awful for Demarius Thomas because that's going to might affect him going into next season. He's already getting up. Like, that sucks for him. But yes, Watson, great game. 29 for 40, 339 yards and two touchdowns along with, and and I cut you off before you said this because I had to defend Jake Elliott, the incredible throw and catch to Vincent Smith, who was burner out of Limestone College. Yes, you, you called him. Very impressive, Mike. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's, let's, yep, yep, I agree. But the play, the, that was on third and 10. The third and 15 before that, the one where he pinballed between about four different sacks. What was that? Are you kidding me? Like, that was, that's the best sort of play to happen against your team because you can't even be mad. Like, I know the Eagles don't have, like, a sacking problem. I don't know they have an issue wrapping up. Those were good looks. Like, you know, the the quarterback, like, elusive, like, like Watson is, you're going to have to, like, get a couple hits on him. Like, the strip sack, Brandon Graham got there first. Chris Long was just there for cleanup. Most of the sacks were the first guy who got there just moved him off his spot. The second or third guy were there for cleanup. There were four guys on an angle on him. Nobody's able to get him. And I could just, I couldn't do anything but laugh. He uncorks it 30 guys down the field to DeAndre Hopkins incredible Carson Wentz-esque play oh man Deshaun Watson and like Nick Foles super clutch but Nick Foles robbed what could have been a like statement drive and win for Deshaun Watson because yeah. if, if Foles doesn't win that game with the with drive back and obviously Elliott and like all the other players but if Foles doesn't drive that back kick the game winning field goal we're talking about that Watson drive 
all the way into the conference championship games when the Texans are playing the freaking Chiefs. That's a defining right? drive. That's a defining drive, and it had some – I mean, Deshaun, uh, DeAndre Hopkins just decided to activate his magnet hands on that drive too. Had some crazy cover, uh, c- catches in tight coverage. You had, I felt so bad for Rasul that to the first one, Rasul <laughs> plays good defense, and Hopkins picks it up off the turf in Which, a way that you just can't – And he was th- late to even, it too. Like, you can't train that, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then the very next play, Rasul Douglas high fives DeAndre Hopkins while he's catching the football, yeah. and the and Hopkins has it on four fingertips, yeah. and 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 Sewell nails him in the hands. There are like two other receivers in the league make that catch, and and like Sewell finishes the play, looks back, realizes Hopkins still has it, and just like like shrugs his shoulders, like, well, why the am I even here? Like, what <laughs> what is the meaning of life? It's odd. Like, I felt so bad for him. Maddox had a good day, man. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because mm. I was I was pontificating over this. Sidney Jones is healthy next week. Is Sidney starting outside and Maddox starting in the slot? Or is Maddox starting outside and Sidney starting in the slot? Man, Maddox has been so good outside that I would start Sidney in the in the in the slot. I'll put it to you this way. Yeah. I think the That's I think tough. the answer is you can do either. Right. And you can do it matchup wise. Matchup. Sydney's gonna have a little bit more length and size to him. You know, so if you're against a team like the Redskins, who are gonna play Jamison Crowder on the outside, then like Leave you're Maddox fine. out there, and if right, and you try to get Doxon lined up over Rasul, that's your ideal situation. But then you, you know you go to watch him call it. You go to you know you go to Chicago in your first playoff game. Knockwood, you know you go up against a team like Chicago, and they're out there playing Anthony Miller, uh, you know, in the slot, Allen Robinson in the boundary. Maybe you think about switching it up, right? If you if they've got if you have a team that feeds their offense through their slot, then listen, put Maddox there because Maddox is the better freaking cover man right now. Yeah, playing great. Obviously, he got a ton of help, a lot of help when he was on Hopkins. Sewell had Hopkins more so in a traditional cover three. They let Maddox play more underneath Hopkins with a safety on top, which was fantastic coaching and serves the the strength of his corners. And I really appreciated Schwartz doing that. And my last note on Schwartz, Mike, the Eagles over the last five games have given up three total third quarter points. So when they come out of the half and it's adjustment versus adjustment yeah. in five games. It was three points to Dallas. And honestly, I didn't even check. I'm just going to say it was off a turnover because it probably freaking was. Um, <laughs> fourth quarter is a problem. We acknowledge that's been a problem all season. Is it a conditioning thing? Is it a time of possession thing? Is it a in-half adjustment thing? Maybe. But all I know is when they come out of the locker room, the Eagles defense over the home stretch here, now keep in mind they won three out of the five of those games, I believe, maybe four. Man. No, four out of the five. They won four out of the five of those games. Yeah. Won four out of the five of those games, only giving up three points in the, in the, in the third quarter. That's impressive halftime adjustments by Jim Schwartz, who should stay on as Eagles defensive coordinator. Ben, let's get to three words and let's see what the gentle listeners had to say. Oh about my God, this game. I forgot we even do this. Oh my heavens. <laughs> so I got a couple for you right out of the gate. Joseph King at gamer underscore Joe 87 says, Fly, Bears, fly, which is a big one as we detailed for the playoff implications. We need the Bears to take care of business next week against the Minnesota Vikings would definitely help us right now. I'm watching the Kansas city chiefs and the Seattle Seahawks game as early in the game. The Seahawks are up seven to nothing as it stands right now in the first quarter. So not looking great there either, but of course the chiefs can score like 50 on you out of nowhere. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, Byron at Byron. Byronic. Byronic gyro one. Byronic gyro one. There you go. Thank you, Ben. Foles, Sproles, goals. Those are your relationship yeah. goals. Listen, and I and I would like to take this moment to formally move that in respect for Nick Foles and Darren Sproles, heroes of the game, that we call John Stolness John Stoles for the entire week. I just think it's good juju. I simply do. 
Should I also know, for those of you wondering, I wore my Lucky Eagles Christmas sweater for the entire game. Actually, that's not true. After the fumble, I took it off because I was a little bit upset, but then I put it back on. And then the Eagles won. So the Lucky Christmas sweater is now 2-0. At Brand Jones 2, I am alive. It's a Rick and Morty gift, so I got to shout that out. Love that show. Yeah, I respect Very it. nice brand. I'm, fi- I'm finding so many fewer big Knicks yeah. than I'm used to seeing. Which is, you know, it's new. Congrats, Zach Ertz from at Envy No Man, which absolutely that should be the um that should be the situation. Uh what was the what was the other one that I found that I liked? Oh, Frank Mack at Frank One Camp says fire Doug Peterson, which was something that was actually being said a month ago, which is obviously not being said now. <laughs> Lombardi was right. Oh, dude, I want someone no BLG is gonna respond. May he forever rain. BLG is gonna respond next week with Lombardi was right. Yeah. Uh, Ridgewood at Teddy underscore Ridgewood says Foles Festivus Miracle, I which I always appreciate a good Festivus reference. That makes me happy. I like that. Uh, all the expletives from Adam Schinder at Recoordinator Schinder. Absolutely. This was a game full of expletives, man. Uh, Owen Jones at Yeah, Bitter and S. Needed to pee. So glad this game ended for you and you're able to get to the bathroom and tweet that out. Owen, good job. Good win, Eagles. I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't watch the the lead up to the Jake Elliott kick. I turned around once he actually attempted the kick, but I couldn't watch it like while they were just lining it up. I just I I was I was awful. Like we've gotten so many like heart attack imminent, high blood pressure, everybody. There was a high cardiac game for sure. Big Nick Energy from Flicker Fade, which is uh that's uh that's BLG. May he forever reign. That's his new thing as well, Big Nick Energy. I will say though, and I want to pull this up here. I'm gonna pull it up in my notifications real quick because somebody hit me up with the hashtag, I have a take. And I really like that. And so I would like to make a formal announcement for all of you who are in like 45 minutes into this podcast. If you ever have a take that you want to be shared on the podcast, it's got to be a good one. But if you hit me up with the hashtag, I have a take, which is obviously my line for when I have a take, uh, I gladly read it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So in the spirit of Daniel at DSPEC12, I have a take, Mike. <laughs> if Avante Maddox had played versus the Cowboys in week 14, the Eagles would be NFC East champs. Daniel's basically saying Ooh. if the Eagles had Maddox able to play on Amari Cooper, Eagles win that game, and Eagles right now would be, if they had won that game, unquestionably the NFC champions in week 16. My, or the NFC East champions. And Mike, I don't hate the take. I don't hate the take at all. I don't hate the take. It's bold because Maddox, I think, has gotten better these past two weeks in terms of his man coverage Mm -hmm. and so extrapolating back i don't know if he would have played as well as he did in the rams game or the texans game in the cowboys game but that being said hampered Cindy jones Devontae bosby or avante maddox circle week 13 week 14 maddox probably the best coverage man of the three and if you just take away the the bosby touchdown the one where bosby had good coverage and they didn't see it listen change the complexion of that game daniel Thank you for the inaugural hashtag, I have a take. Boy, I think you had a good one. Eagles win 32-30. Ben, have a take and take us home. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. We enjoyed, on Bleeding Green Nation Radio, a record-setting week last week. In week 15 of the season, with relatively thin playoff hopes. And that is super cool. It is so much fun. Having you guys listen to the podcast, getting a, a massive influx, a swell of ratings and reviews, which we want to read, but there's so much content to get through because the Eagles are approaching week 17 with live playoff hopes. So potentially we're not probably going to get through those because we don't have any airtime to fill. But we will, I promise, to so keep rating and keep reviewing, especially as we move into week 17 and beyond Knockwood. Thank you so much 
for listening to the shows. All the shows, BGN Radio, the QB Sco Show, all of the visitation shows from opposing uh, on-air talents from opposing teams. Man, uh, the, the listenership here is amazing, and we're very grateful. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. What is there more to say? Obviously, we're going to be getting a review show out on this film as soon as possible. Eagles with their biggest win of the season since the last win of the season. And they are going into week 17 with very real playoff hopes. We hope you join us for those preview shows coming up later this week. Thank you so much for listening. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.